The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. We'll be in John chapter 11. And as we were listening to the presentation this morning, if you weren't here this morning, you missed a wonderful presentation of the ministry that's going on in Guatemala. And it was so exciting to see the, the team come back. And just for me, having gone a few times before and then watching their excitement and their passion and remembering all those feelings was just an exciting morning um, for me. The truth is, uh, there were so many times in that service that I was moved, and I don't get moved all that easily. Um, and so I was fighting back tears for a lot of the service. And it was just a, a great time, great service. But I, I say that because... Um, what this morning service made me think of is the fact that, that modern technology and social media has afforded us the ability to watch history unfold throughout the world. And that is a good thing and a bad thing. We get to watch things like what is happening in Guatemala. We get to see firsthand videos, pictures, almost immediately on Facebook, except when they didn't have Wi-Fi. We get to see what God is doing there, what his gospel is accomplishing all around the world. So it's not just here in Chatham. Sometimes we get our world just way too small. And so what, what our technology has done is it's opened our eyes to what God is doing throughout the world. And it's an exciting thing. It's a wonderful thing. Um, but sometimes it's a bad thing. And sometimes we, we get, because we have so much access to so much information and so many things, we're just inundated with the here and now and what's going on today in our world. And we lose sight of eternal things. We lose sight of things that are of ultimate importance. And so technology, a wonderful thing and a bad thing. Um, unfortunately, I think what happens sometimes is we get so caught up in the today that we miss the magnitude of big things when they happen. And we miss the magnitude of some of the things that we do every week here. Every time we open up the Word of God, can you imagine opening up a book that was written by the creator of the universe and was written for your good? I mean, what an incredible thing. But, we, you know, those things, we just miss them. Um, as I got to thinking about people missing things, and oftentimes we missing what's right in front of us, I thought about the disciples. And so what I decided to do is I decided, as I was preparing for this message, to read the Gospel of John a few times and to back up a little bit. So not just read the crucifixion account, but to back up and, and get the story from the Passion Week, starting at the beginning of the Passion Week. And just to follow disciples and to try and think of what they were seeing. Because if you think about it, during that time in the world, there was between two and three hundred million people alive. And they didn't have access to social media and technology. And so during Jesus' lifetime, if he met a hundred thousand people, if a hundred thousand people during his lifetime knew his name, it would be an incredible thing. It's probably less than that. And so here we have Jesus... And there's these 12 men that are given the opportunity to walk with Jesus. I mean, for three years, to see Jesus at every meal, to see Jesus every time he opens up the Word of God and preaches it, to get a chance to ask Jesus questions after those messages and say, what do you mean by this, Jesus? I mean, what's going on here? To see his miracles, to see people come from the, that were dead, be alive again. I mean, imagine what it would be like to be one of the apostles, to walk with Jesus, Nowadays, it'd be very different. You know, everybody, we can get connected to everything. We can see crazy, cool things going on. But these guys, 12 out of 300 million people, 
have this opportunity, unique opportunity to walk with Jesus and to get this crystal clear picture of the story. And the funny thing is, it seems like they didn't get it. I mean, it wasn't until after Jesus was dead and risen again and they had the Holy Spirit inside of them that it seemed to click. Because you follow the ministry, you follow the Passion Week, and you see Jesus doing these big and awesome and incredible things. You know, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. I mean, he enters, he knows what's going on there. He knows it's all these prophecies coming true. He knows that it's going to lead to him on the cross. And they're just thinking, oh, this is nice. You know, Jesus is everybody's being nice to him. They're with him the whole way, and they're just not getting it. And so I want to read for us a few verses in the Gospel of John. And the theme for, for this service this evening, the thing that was going through my head the whole time I was preparing, was this theme of life and death. That, that we come to the cross and we get the purest picture of death. I mean, an agonizing, terrible death, a purposeful death, a, a, a death where humanity decides that this person ought to die and then carries that out with efficiency, with brutality. We get death. And then we get, because of that death, life. Incredible life. And, and I was thinking about verses like Romans chapter 5 or 17. It says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which would receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. And so you have this sin by one that, that brings death. And not only is it death on this one man, but now death reigns on humanity from now on. And so that's, what, that's, what, that's where we're at without Jesus Christ, is death is reigning. This life is short. And even this life isn't true. It's not real. It's not abundant life until you know Christ. And then in the same verse, you have this incredible promise, this, this incredible grace, this gift of righteousness that will mean that instead of death reigning in our lives, that life reigns eternal life in jesus christ and then we look at john chapter 11 and jesus is speaking with martha in john chapter 11 verse 25 jesus says unto her i am the resurrection and the life he that believes in me though he were dead yet shall he live and whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die believest thou this and you read that verse and it's like There's not a more important truth for any person to ever hear. There's not something that's more incredible, more shocking, more life-changing than hearing that by believing in Jesus Christ, you can have eternal life when prior to that, death reigned in your... I mean, death was your destiny. It's incredible. I wonder how much the disciples got. It seems like they didn't get much because you you follow their story and you, you move on. And... In John chapter 12, at the end of John chapter 12, starting at verse 46, this is during the Passion Week, after the triumphal entry, and it's just days before Jesus dies. From verses 37 to 50, he's explaining a passage in Isaiah. So Isaiah is a prophet. He's he's prophesying about the Messiah to come. And so Jesus is going to explain how those prophecies relate to him and his life and his death. And in verse 46, he says this, I am come... A light into the world that whosoever believes on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. 
For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Now, let's stop there for just a second. Isn't it neat the way Jesus says that? That he came to bring light, that he came to bring life, that he did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Okay, now we, we think about that, we, we know that, and it's like, that sounds like a wonderful thing to say, but it also sounds a little bit like what a liberal might say about Jesus, doesn't it? I mean, he came to bring life, he came to save, he came to bring nice things, but he didn't come to judge. Jesus would never judge, right? It is a wonderful truth. Jesus came to save. But look at the very next verse. The very next verse says, He that rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Jesus says, I came. I came to bring you light. I came to bring you life. I came. I didn't come to judge you. Do you know why I didn't come to judge you? So Jesus says, I didn't come to judge. That's already happened. You've already been judged. You're already condemned. I've come so you could have a savior. I've come so you could have life and light. In other words, death was already reigning. D.L. Moody said this. He said, my friends, there is one spot on earth where the fear of death, of sin, and of judgment need never trouble us. The only safe spot on earth where the sinner can stand is Calvary. What an incredible truth. And that's what Jesus is saying here. There is light and there is darkness. There is grace and there is justice. There is mercy and there is judgment. There is life and there is death. There are those who save and there are those who stand condemned under the wrath of God. And it's one of the two things. And so this is what Jesus is saying to them. And I wonder if they got it. Look at John chapter 13, verse 1. And I, I wanted to include this first because it's just such a wonderful verse. It says, Now therefore, the feast of the Passover, Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. He's getting these guys together. And then John just kind of stops here and he says, it's almost like he says, yeah, they were going to the Passover, but rather than just jumping into the Passover meal, he says, Jesus knew that his hour was coming, and he loved his disciples. He loved his own, and he loved them until the end. And the idea of end there isn't duration. It's, it's to the max, to the foremost, to the uttermost. He loved them as much as, as much as you could possibly ever love, and we're talking about God's love here. This is Jesus loving them, and you think about who he's loving. He's loving these guys who've lacked faith in the past, who've messed up in the past. He's loving these guys who, who've got to walk with Jesus and are still so imperfect and so not getting his plan. He loved them to the end. And so here are the disciples. You know the story. Pastor mentioned this morning. He washes their feet. And as he washes their feet, what do they do? Well, Peter argues because he doesn't want Jesus to wash his feet. Right? So Jesus says, no, you've got to wash your feet, because if I, if I don't wash your feet, then you're no part of me. And then, so then Peter's asking for a full-out sponge bath. Yeah, Jesus, if you want to just wash all of me, every part, just, just give me a bath. doesn't get it, right? And then in verses 22 to 26, now they're discussing who the one that's going to betray Jesus is going to be. I mean, who is it going to be? It's not going to be me. And then Jesus says, no, you're all going to deny me. You're all going to leave me. And, and they repudiate that statement. No, Jesus, I would never deny you. Peter says, I, I, I would die if I had to. I would go anywhere with you, even if it means to the cross. 
as we look at this story, as we look at what, what happened here at this Last Supper, it seems as though just about everything that Jesus was teaching them flew in the face of what they wanted to be true, what they wanted to believe. They didn't want Jesus to wash them. They didn't want to serve like that. They didn't want to believe that any of them would betray Jesus. They didn't want to believe that they would deny Jesus. Um, and the truth is, they didn't want Jesus to die at all. They, just, they were sitting in that room, and they weren't getting it. And in the midst of all of this, in the midst of, of these disciples almost just not understanding what's the, the magnitude of what's going to happen, of what Jesus is about to accomplish like 12 or 15 hours from now, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. And I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know what? I bet for the disciples, the first time that they partook in the Lord's Supper was not the most special time. You know, I mean, you think about it. This is something that they, they did one time, and then we've patterned this tradition after it from that point forward. It's something Jesus told us to do, but we've done it as a church hundreds of thousands of times, Right? The church throughout history in all different places, all believers all over the place. I mean, you'd think that the first time would be just this incredible, awesome, meaningful experience. And Jesus instituted in the midst of these guys who just didn't seem to get what was going on. Do you know why he did that? I think he did it because he knew that they would need it. It wasn't for them that night. I mean, they needed to hear what he was going to say, but they still weren't getting it. It still wasn't clicking. But when you turn to Acts chapter 2, and you read what the church, the early church, the first church was doing, verse 42, they were doing four things, right? They were in fellowship together. They were in doctrine, in the word of God, the apostles' doctrine. They were praying, and they were celebrating the Lord's Supper together. Four essentials of that church. That's what they were doing. And I guarantee that those communion services were so much more meaningful to disciples because they looked back. And they understand it all, and it's all clear. See, there's this saying, you can't see the forest for the trees. And I wonder if the disciples were, were watching all these things happening and knowing that it was, it was pretty awesome and pretty great, but just not getting it. And I've, I've wished in the past that maybe I could be one of them, so I, I could just go back in time. I could be with Jesus and see the miracles, and maybe that would somehow increase my faith. And then I realized that while that was happening, they didn't get it. But Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, he gives it to them, and later on, they experience it just like we do. That we look back and we remember what Jesus did. We remember, we think about all the things that that, that meant for, for God to go to the cross on our behalf. Soon after this, Jesus was, went out to the garden. He prayed in the garden. He was taken, pointed out by Judas Iscariot, taken by the soldiers, and... Uh, all of the disciples left. None of them were there with him. I mean, John was at the cross, barely. And everybody else, just, just gone. Jesus is, is loving these disciples to the end and giving them what they're going to need to serve him and, and really trusting him with his church and the future of the gospel. And he's giving it to these guys who, at the time, are pretty much failures knowing what he was going to experience and knowing that they would all desert him. What an incredible love. What an incredible savior. Peter, a spokesman for the group throughout Jesus' ministry, now speaks for the group in Mark chapter 14, verse 70. 
It says, and a little after they stood by and said again to Peter, surely thou art one of them. For thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. But he, Peter, began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. Turned his back on Christ. Denied him completely. Richard Fuller said, he was alone, alone enduring the curse for us, alone bearing our sins in his own body on the tree, and exhausting the fierceness of eternal justice, alone without succor from a man, alone without one strengthening whisper from an angel, above all, alone without one ray from his father's countenance. And that expiring cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, was the bitter, dreary, dismal, piercing wail of a soul utterly deserted, wrapped, shrouded in essential, unmitigated desolation. That is what Christ was about to do for these men who just didn't get it. And he gave them this communion service so that they they would remember, so that we would remember, so that we would know constantly, have, have a reason to remind ourselves of what he did for us. Um, I think we, like the disciples, are very easily distracted. It's very easy for us to come up with our own plans, to have our own ways, to want things to be true that we want to be true and not, not really care what the truth is. I think like the disciples, we very easily take our eyes about, off of what Jesus' mission is off of what Jesus' desire was. This communion service is a time for us to stop doing that. It's a time for us to not have a better plan, to not be distracted, to not let all of the chaos of this world cloud our judgment and cloud our minds, but to focus on the most important thing in this world, the most important thing in your life, that Jesus Christ died for you that he suffered on the cross, and because of his death, we can have life. That, there's nothing more important to think about. There's nothing more important to focus on. And so we meet together this evening, and Paul said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. And so we do two things. We, we show his death. We, we think about his death. We profess the fact that, that we believe that he died so we could have life. And not only that, we're waiting until he comes. So we're professing that he died, that because of his death we have life, and that someday he's coming again. What an incredible service this is. Spurgeon said, I think the moments we are nearest to heaven are those we spend at the Lord's table. And so I encourage you this evening, as we participate in the Lord's table together, that that you would remember, that you'd think about Christ, that he died not, not just because he was being an example, but he died because of what you have done. He's died, he died for our sins. And that we'd examine our lives in light of that. Lord, am I living my life as though I'm distracted? Or do I remember the cross? Do I remember your death? Do I remember that the only reason I have eternal life is because of what you've done for me? We remember and we examine and then we hope. We hope for his coming again. And our hope is not a maybe it'll happen. Our hope is sure. Wonderful service. At this time, I'd ask the men to come forward so that we can prepare to serve the Lord's Supper this evening.